Five o'clock in Pirate Country and 94.3 The Game is going to get you home with the P-Man. In five, four, three, two, one. Lock it in. Turn it up. It's time for the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Wednesday, Ben. What do you think, right? I'm ready. Yeah. Hey, Tom. Hey, Ben. By the way, it's Ben time. Ben Byram. Hey, Ben. Producer of this fine radio product. It's great to have you with us. Uh, Before we get really uh, heavy into everything today, we got a couple of great guests. Uh, We're going to talk to John Ellis, One Panther's Place. That's uh, basically, it's a Twitter destination but it's based on a podcast right ben do i have that right with john john's kind of a podcaster about the panthers yeah he's more so a podcaster than anything else and uh does a great job but we had him on he was fantastic uh and then brian mull uh we're going to talk to brian about uh the wells fargo championship at quail hollow hey congratulations to our guy harold varner the third hv3 tweeting out today that he and his uh lovely new bride are expecting a baby in october how about that HV3. Go have some HV4s, maybe. Or one of the fourth. There you go. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, and then it was announced today our guy, uh, Trent McGee, going to have his third, or he's not going to have his his wife, his beautiful wife's going to have uh, their third daughter. Wow. McGee's going to have him a cheerleading squad or softball <laughs> team or something, isn't he? That poor dude. We love McGee on sports, but I mean, he's just on, surrounded Patrick. by all those women. <laughs> Look, I've just got one at home, and I, I, I can barely survive her. I, I don't know what I'd do with a house full of them. It'd be be nuts. It'd be nuts. McGee's a very good father, though. He's got His girls are very sweet and very cute. And uh, that's happening on uh, Friday, May 7th. You know what May 7th is, don't you? Of course, today's Cinco de Mayo, as you know. But you know what May 7th is? No, I don't. I don't. Am I missing something? It's my birthday. That's all. Doesn't oh, matter. Oh, God. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't, I'm, I'm working all week. Yikes. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, what I wanted to say before we got into this, I want to uh, offer uh, our, just our sincerest condolences to the mayor of Greenville, P.J. Conley. His father uh, unexpectedly passed away and uh, exchanged some texts late last night with the mayor uh, and uh yeah, PJ's just uh he's a he's a fantastic mayor. Fantastic representative of the community. Uh a great pirate, but he's just a great guy. Just as nice a guy. He's been on the show, I think, more than anybody as far as guests. We've had him on um to talk about serious stuff, but to talk sports. I mean, he's a big part in the softball world series that's you know, in Greenville and coming to Greenville for multiple years at Elm Street. And just a lot of things that are happening with the city, he's the man that's really got his hands in it and has made it happen. And uh, as far as growth and new businesses and that sort of thing, PJ's done a fabulous job as mayor. Uh, I'm glad he's deciding to run again, and and I I really do think um, he you know because he's from Wisconsin, 
and he's really made this home. And I, it takes a special person, you know, to kind of stay in the town you went to college in if you're from out of state. And it, I mean, we, we've seen that happen. I mean, that, that's happened with Andrew Bays. It's happened with a lot of guys. But I, I, it's just really good that when you have some, oh, Blue Edwards is back in, in the area too. I mean, it's just, you know, guys that, where's Blue grew up in Snow Hill, but, you know, people want to be here in Greenville, and that's great. PJ, of course, was a, you know, pitched, played baseball at ECU, and, uh, after his minor league career, decided to come back here and and not only start a business here, but I mean, got involved in the community, got involved in politics, and and has been fantastic. And again, our our uh, sincerest sincerest condolences, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with uh, PJ and his wife and uh, and uh, uh, daughters as well, and and their entire family. Uh, that's that's a tough situation. Uh, okay, so let's uh, let's get on to Ben not for remembering my birthday. No, let's get on to um, let's please quickly uh, <laughs> change the subject. Get over that. So um, yesterday, and you posted the article on there, Terry Bradshaw, who who looked like he might have been roused from a hangover when uh, they talked to him on TMZ. Um, no, he just looks that way. Okay, well, Terry <laughs> Terry looked a little out of it. You know. I, what I heard yesterday was just the audio. I didn't see the video till later. And Terry looked like he'd seen better days. But um, Brett Favre was on ESPN Madison in Wisconsin today, speaking of Wisconsin. And uh, this, to me, is a, a fan, uh, just a fascinating exchange here. Uh, Favre was on uh, the Wild and Tausch show, Wild and Out. Was he on Wild and Out? I think he was. No, it's Wild and Tausch. Everybody's got these whack job names. You know, like, Peanut butter and goober. <laughs> right, exactly. Gra- Gravy Stain and the Dorkshire. I mean, there's just all these names that make no s- Wild and Tausch. Wild and Out. We used to do the Wild and Out Pyramid on a radio station. Um, All right, so, or the Wild and Crazy Pyramid. But, um... This is Brett Favre on ESPN Madison, and they had a very long, it was like a 45-minute discussion about Aaron Rodgers. And this is Brett Favre, who has, you know, corresponded with Rodgers, apparently. And this is just, I guess, what Brett Favre has deduced based on their conversations via text. And that is, does Favre think that Rodgers is coming back to Green Bay? Boy, that's a good question. You know, that's a million-dollar question. Um, You know, I I think I know Aaron fairly well. And honestly, I just don't see him coming back and just saying, all right, let's bury the hatchet, whatever that – whatever caused the rift. I'm just going to come back and play because I love, love the guys. I love the Green Bay fans. Uh, I assume that he, he does, um, but his his rift isn't with the fans nor the players. It's with the the front office, you know. So will he just swallow his pride and come in? Maybe, but I don't see that happening. I, I if there's not a trade, my gut tells me that he he'd rather sit out than play. How long uh, he didn't say retire? Notice that said sit out. How long can Brett Favre sit out? Not very long. Before well, so 
and I and I I didn't write the name down. I'm getting old, Ben. The kid who they drafted, Jordan Love. All right, Jordan Love. Let's say Jordan Love comes in and, and just kills it. Does a great job. I don't know. I, I, I doubt it. <laughs> well, it's very unlikely that would happen. But that gives Rodgers all of the leverage. He's already got quite a bit, but that certainly gives him all the leverage. He Because they offered him an extension. Yeah. And he didn't take it. This guy wants a pound of flesh. He wants the GM. Vominos. Refers to the GM as Jerry Krause, according to, Is that what he yeah, says? According to his friends <laughs> that he's been in text, mess, right. text group chats with. He calls him Jerry Krause. Yeah, I mean, I, to me, I think there's a problem with LaFleur and that decision, the field goal from the eight instead of... I really don't think so. I, I really think it's got something to do with the GM. I mean, you're talking no, about... No, no, I, I, I think overall I, you're exactly right. Yeah. But I, I think that there's also, you know, if he's really in his feeling his himself in all of this, he probably would like to have someone else as the head coach, I would think, as well. Um, but I, I with if if Love comes out and does a great job, that means, I mean, that kind of leaves Favre. But you know, they go a month into this thing and they're one and three or two and two and lucky to be there, and Love's not getting any better. You could cool well believe that they'll be bringing Rodgers back into the fold, unless there's. I I did see this morning. I guess there is a, a trade that would involve Drew Locke. Um, uh, the, uh, the mock trades, the mock trades, the, the Sertan was going to be involved from Denver. That is if he goes to Denver. God, a guy, the Panthers should have picked up instead of right. whatever this clown is well, they got now. That makes you wonder, was Denver picking up Sertan as a bargaining piece? You know, they need corners. They do need corners. They do, but they, there would be a corner that would come from Green Bay with Favre. And I don't remember the guy's name. But you're looking at like three I mean, players. Me, Rogers. You keep saying far. Uh, Rogers. I'm <laughs> you sorry. You keep getting me confused. Right. There, there would be a a defensive player from Green Bay that would cornerback. Uh, they drafted corner, this year. Yep. I think you're right. Yeah, would go with would go with Rogers to Denver. Denver would give up a couple of first round picks. Drew Luck, um, Sertan, Sertan, and there was another player involved, a receiver. Somebody else was involved as well. Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick. So, I mean, that that's kind of how all that would be made to, to work out again in these mock scenarios that could happen. But because of the, the money situation, you are going to have to sweeten the Green Bay pot oh, yeah. by sending over a couple of uh, draft picks. You're going to have to give up a couple of first-rounders minimum. They were talking about giving up for Watson. You're probably going to have to do that, maybe even more for Aaron Rodgers. Well, if you're doing players, I think that does change things. You at least send them a corner, a corner. You send them a, a quarterback. You send them some younger guys that they can maybe start to, to go in a different direction to build around. I mean, say what you will about uh, Drew Locke. He's at least started some games in the NFL, and and if Love's not ready, then he's shown but, flashes at the very least. Drew Locke. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he has, and let's face it, the situation in Denver has been unsettled at best. Yep. So uh, you know that that's. I just thought the Brett Favre comments coming from Brett Favre of all people were quite interesting. All I got from this that Brett Favre is he's the fakest friend you oh, could ever have. You stop it, Ben. Will you stop? At least in your text messages. I well, better than to send them to 
Jeopardy or, or someone else. Um, so, but no, that I thought that was, um, I thought that was pretty interesting what he said there. I didn't even know they were friends. Like I, I can never well, that, imagine that's them the irony, being friends. That's the irony in all this. Rogers is kind of bunched up because they drafted love. Well, Favre was obviously not thrilled when they drafted Rogers, who spent a few years behind. He went on to have success elsewhere. The Vikings didn't win a Super Bowl, but got pretty far in the playoffs. There Maybe was, that could be Rodgers. There was the year, I think his first year in Minnesota, he probably should have won the MVP. Peyton Manning ended up winning it. But Favre should have been the MVP that year. Um, there's a guy named Greg uh, Flugar, Flugauer. Uh, F at F L U G E Empire. So at Flug Empire. I'm not familiar. I'm not either, and I'm not really sure who he is, but he tweets a lot about college sports. He tweets a lot about realignment. And uh, our guy, uh, C. Austin Cox, retweeted this because he's uh, extremely uh, all about AAC realignment and Boise State coming and all that. So Greg Flugauer uh, tweets this out this afternoon, actually this morning. Heads up, this morning from BTM, the source. Boise that he quotes, Boise State is on the AAC's doorstep. Expect at least one partner in San Diego State to move to make move together. Up to two more additional schools could be added to the flow. Yikes. The heavy push to seal it up is between now and the start of July. San Diego State? Given they've been successful, but that's tra- travel, travel-wise, that doesn't Across make a lot the of sense. Yeah. Well, if it's football only, right, you, right, you probably can. But I mean, if you're talking about adding four, what does that give you? Sixteen football yeah. schools? Yeah, that's that's a lot. Ooh, that's too much. That is a lot. And I would have to imagine that one of them, add, a, add them in basketball, right? One of the four you would add in basketball, unless you're just going to stick with the round robin twenty. Hopefully not San Diego State. They're pretty good in basketball. Well, that, see, that's where it gets ridiculous if you're adding them in in other sports. I'd be very curious to find out who the other two are. I, who's, who was the source for this? BTM? BTM the source. What is BTM? I don't know. I, I tried to <laughs> I tried to Google it, and I got some weird stuff All right, on my so Google we can, machine. We can maybe dismiss that. We'll take that for a grain of salt. Well, I, look, it, it is consistent at least with the fact that Boise State and the Mountain West do not seem to be a happy marriage at the moment. I can see Boise State, uh, San Diego State. That's a little strange. Well, there, but you need an even number to make to make it truly work out. Seems to be the whole point. Why would you, if you want to add somebody to AAC, why would you make it an odd number again and throw off things? Right. Yeah. Because I, because I, I, I do not believe you want Boise in all other sports outside of football and. Anyone we've talked to about this, all indication seems to be that Boise would be a football only. Solely football, yeah. And I guess they'd be in the West Coast Conference and some of their other sports. Um, and just because of kind of their proximity to Gonzaga, that's not totally wild. I mean, it's going to be some travel, but that's their problem, not ours. Um, I just, I'm trying to figure where, I don't know, it's very interesting. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure is that the? I guess that is the best fit. You know, there's I guess a little bit of Colorado State, but it, it seems like Colorado State is would be staying and not leaving the Mountain West at all. 
by all indications. But you would have to have somebody go with Boise. And, and by all accounts, Army has no desire to, to make the move. There's not a lot of teams out there that seem to have a lot of turmoil with their conference. Like a conference kind of on our level or a little bit lower than our level. Well, here's the thing you have to understand with Boise. They have kind of a special deal with the Mountain West. You know, they, they control their own television for home games. I, I'm not sure what the Mountain West buyout is, but I'm sure that Boise, one, could afford it, but two, may even have their own special buyout. Who knows? But Boise, and this is what, if you talk to other and read things from other fans of Mountain West schools, they are not, they feel like Boise is treated differently than they are. And I and I think you would find that they would be good riddance to have Boise out of the... Sounds like an Aaron Rodgers type deal. It does, <laughs> doesn't it? Boise State. It all comes together. Boise State, the Aaron Rodgers of P6 football. All right. Um, we'll grab a break, and uh, we're going to... We, we've kind of tiptoed around it and danced around it a little bit. We really haven't gotten in in a huge way to listen to... Um, to really dive into this Panthers draft. And, you know, our, our Monday show was baseball heavy. We wanted to do the book. I mean, that's the thing. We, we really want to do as much local stuff as possible and, and what have you. Local guy getting drafted yesterday, so. Yeah. And so we want to we wanna get involved in all of that and do as much of the, all that as possible. And then, you know, yesterday we had the Terry Bradshaw stuff, which I thought was fascinating. And we had Cordell Powell yesterday, as you mentioned. And, I mean, that was a, uh, you know, Cornell has a long history with our station and our, our, our station has a long history with Rose and covering sports of the community. So, you know, we wanted to obviously talk to Cornell and like I said, we got the breaking news. He'd been thrown with Trevor Lawrence yeah. <laughs> in Clemson that day. Uh, so I'm really going to let you go crazy here with, with, uh, John Ellis and let you guys either, uh, go I at think each, he likes the draft commensurate so or go at each other's throats. But I want you, I, and I, I meant to say this to you off the air. So I, and I, but I'm going to say it to you now on the air. Oh, because we have, but have reasonable arguments with your disdain. Just don't say some guy's a bum. I think you should have reasonable arguments. I meant uh, to say that I can you. have reasonable arguments. Come on, come on now, don't don't. Well, just don't say he's a bum. I mean, just you know, now if the guy's a bum, <laughs> he's a bum. But you know, just. I really want you to put your analytic because you are very smart when it comes to these things. You got stats in my head and everything. I like, know you're, but I mean, it's not even stats. You're just, you have a good eye for this. So I just want you okay, to all right. present reasoned arguments. Okay. That's all I'm, don't, just don't say, John, that guy sucks. Don't say that. Just say, no, no, no. all right. That's all. I, yeah. Okay. All right. I, I meant to tell you this at noon today and I've just been so busy. <laughs> I, I'm just telling you now. So. All right, uh, we'll be right back. That's how, that's how Ben and I roll. All right, uh, we'll be back, and we will have John Ellis from uh, One Panther Place, uh, podcaster covering the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. We'll go to the upstate of South Carolina, the lesser Carolina, telephonically. Next. Videos, articles, and what's going on in the Pirate Nation. I thought that's what Facebook updates were for. Like and comment on 94.3 The Game's Facebook page right now. More of the Patrick Johnson Show is coming up on 94.3 The Game and 94.3thegame.com. Pirates, Panthers, the P-Man. Oh, my. More of the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game right now. 
Welcome back in. It is uh, the Patrick Johnson Show for a uh, Wednesday, the hump day edition, all downhill from here. Uh, We brought John Ellis on a few weeks ago and uh, got great response, and he was great. I enjoyed talking to him. Uh, John at One Panther Place on Twitter, uh, podcaster covering the Carolina Panthers. And uh, we're going to talk a little draft with him. He's been in, so in demand, it's been hard to get a hold of him, but we've been able to work it out today. Uh, John, how's it going? Hey, Patrick, what's up, man? Good to be on with you, buddy. Yeah, Thanks it's for gr- the invite. great to have you back on. As you know, Ben Byram, our, our producer, uh, a huge Panthers fan, he's been a yeah. little dismayed uh, with this thing. Now, let me just say this. I'm not crazy about the first two Panthers picks. I, I uh, you know, but I, 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 we can get into the to the deets on that. What is your overall feel for the whole thing? Obviously, a lot of draft picks and a willingness to trade back after the first round. So, um, wh- how would you assess the whole process of last weekend and, and where we are right now with this Panthers draft class? Sure. Well, I, I, I first of all, thought the process was fascinating itself with the new general manager and Scott Fitterer. We knew there would be a change of philosophy for Marty Herney, who tended to, if, if anything, trade up at times to, to hold on to those picks. And there was a concerted effort going into this draft, from what I'm told, that we were not only, if you're a Carolina fan, going to go into this with the understanding that, hey, not only are they pretty comfortable with Sam Darnold, I mean, they've made that clear sense, mm-hmm. but one of their big priorities was to bulk up their draft capital, not only for this year, but for next. And, and, you know, exchange for the Darnold pick, they got a fourth round back with the trade with Houston. That's a, a very big deal, too, because scouts have told me that it's going to be a much cleaner evaluation next year. So right. that pick is like gold to some teams. Now, does Carolina view it that way? I'm not sure, but I know they really made an effort coming in, first of all, to, to pick up capital. The players they ended up, you know, J.C. Horn, Terrence Marshall, Brady Christensen, I think those are high-value guys. They were high on their board. So, again, a lot of fans, I understand that Justin Fields is on the board. There's some consternation. They didn't take a quarterback. Maybe they wanted an offensive tackle sooner. But I can tell you from people I talked to, folks in that war room were thrilled with how it turned out. Why Horn and not Sertan? I mean, you're talking two second-generation guys. Here's my thing on Sertan, because he's the next pick. Winning program. Uh, has gone against the very best. I'm not saying J.C. Horn is not a good player, but you know, a program that is not a winning program, the coach gets fired. That tells you how dysfunctional the whole thing was. And I realize there's more to what was going on in Columbia than that. Uh, but you know, also a guy when you when you look at when they evaluate him likes to talk. I don't care who you are. It's never good if you're a real chirpy. Uh, corner in the NFL, especially if you're running your mouth a lot when you're a young guy. I just think Sertan would have been the better pick if you're going corner there, or you could have traded back and, and still gotten the same guy. Yeah, I get that. You know, look, Sertan was very high on everybody's board as far as corner. I think the way Carolina viewed it was Horn would be 1A, Sertan would be right behind him at 1B, and then they had Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech, from folks I've talked to, very high on their board until the back issue came up. I think Farley could have been their pick all along had the injury, had the medicals not been unfavorable there. But in terms of Sertan, I think they saw a little higher ceiling with Horn. They saw him as a more dynamic athlete, faster, a little more quick twitch. Uh, That's something I think Matt Rule has, has proven to value in terms of athletic scoring, athletic rating with these guys. 
And it's not that Pat Sertain Jr. did not grade out well favorably in terms of athletic scoring. No, he did. He did great. Yeah. I just think, they, they, from what I'm told, they viewed uh, Sertain as more of a James Bradbury type, probably more of a dependable, rock-steady day one starter, but with a more limited ceiling, at least in the view of some evaluators and Jason Horn, who I think they very much view as like a Jalen Ramsey type. I know he's got some swagger. He's got some attitude. I think some of that they actually like, Patrick, to be honest with you. I think they yeah. like the attitude. They like, I think, Scott Fitter in a conversation with Jim Miller and Pat Kerwin had mentioned the alpha dog mentality he has. So I think they were pretty much sold on Horn. I was told from going into the draft, if it was going to be any corner, it was going to be J.C. Horn. And we had kind of reported that out there. Right, right. Corner's the guy to keep your eye on. But, yeah, I totally get that. I think they're both going to be very good corners in this league. I don't think you can miss with either one, really. But, yeah, there's something to be said about playing at a high level at a program like Alabama. So I think they'll both do very well where they're sitting right now. John Ellis covers the uh, Cats at one Panther place. I really love the Christensen pick, especially that you're able to address a need with a guy who I think uh, physically ticks all the boxes in the third round. A little early to go for receiver when, you know, that really wasn't a huge need area. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, they, they viewed Marshall very highly. I don't think it was just because of the Brady connection either. Of course, Joe Brady, LSU. Right, yeah, yeah. Paris Marshall. But I think what they accomplished here, they, they the wide receiver room I don't think is as stacked as, as maybe folks seem to think. Robbie Anderson's not on a long-term deal. They lost Curtis Samuel. They backfilled him with uh, David Moore, who is less of a, uh, a shifty slot guy. He's more of a, an occasional outside vertical threat and can run the complete tree. But Marshall, here's the thing about Terrace I think they like. He, he's perceived as sort of a, a Joe Brady type of dog and pony show pick. He's not. He's extremely versatile. He can play inside, play outside, can run the entire route tree, and played in a pretty sophisticated system at LSU. And the Christensen pick, I, I know they love that because they were at LSU or at uh, BYU yeah. Pro Day. Right. They had uh, Pat Meyer there. Joe Brady was in attendance. Uh, they had some scouts on hand, and I'm told from people that were there that Carolina w- was impressed with with Zach Wilson, obviously, but with the guy who protected his blind side almost to perfection. And Brady Christensen, the arms are a little short. I know every tackle this draft, it seemed like we talked about how short their arms were. But Christensen's a good athlete and great value where they got him. So I think they came away very happy, not only knowing that they had a number of tackles in mind that they they viewed as a potential day one starter, but they got one of those guys, and they also got draft capital in return by trading back. Yeah. All right, Ben's got some questions for you. All right, so I got to disagree with you on the round two pick of Terrence Marshall. Uh, mainly because when you, it, what was kind of concerning about that pick was when you looked at it, there was still a lot of first round talents at position of needs for the Panthers at kind of that position. Off the top of my head, I can think of guys like Tevin Jenkins, the tackle out of Oklahoma State. He's already the starting left tackle for the Bears. They cut Charles Leno immediately after drafting that guy. That would have been nice to have. Uh, but later it worked out with Brady Christensen. I think he's going to be a really good tackle. And then there was guys like Florida State cornerback Asante Samuel Jr. I felt like he was a first-round guy. Maybe people disagree with that. Trayvon Morig was still there. I mean, it would have been nice to have a safety. They didn't address safety at all in this draft at all, and I get they like Jeremy Chin and all, but it would have been nice to see that position addressed. And Jock out of Notre Dame, the, the linebacker out of Notre Dame, that that would have been another position I would like to see them address. And instead, you get a wide receiver, and I disagree with you. I think that position still pretty stacked. I mean, 2,000-yard receivers kind of speaks for yeah. itself. 
Uh, are they kind of thinking ahead, maybe realizing they can't keep Robbie Anderson or DJ Moore, or is it something else? What was what was up with that? Was I it, think you're 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 onto something there. You know, I don't think they view Robbie Anderson necessarily as locked and loaded long term. I know they love him. They love his production. I think DJ Moore will be here for a long time. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I just think that with Joe Brady's offense, and who knows how long Brady's going to be here, by the way, but they've installed that system. Even if he goes, I think they keep that going with more four or five wide concepts. They needed an extra playmaker there, and I think that was sort of a BPA pick, Ben. I don't think it was necessarily, at least in the way their terms of their board stacked, necessarily drafting for need. It was, okay, we, we drafted for need round one. Whether we agree or not, they felt corner was a need, and they went and got it, and they got a very good athlete. And in round two, obviously with Marshall, uh, through that trade. I mean, obviously, the, yeah, a lot of folks disagree. I, I think there was some consternation, uh, some reporting yesterday that there was a little bit of chaos in the war room about it. And I can tell you from a source that it was not chaos. They were, it, it was not about, oh my gosh, we got Terrace Marshall and scouts and, and coaches were screaming uh, as tackles fell off the board. It wasn't all about tackles. There were other non-offensive tackles that they were riding down the board with that were falling. As for Kevin Jenkins, I, I agree. He's a great pickup for Chicago. I've heard some things about his interviews that weren't very good. I don't know if Carolina viewed it that way, but some people around there told me his interviews weren't stellar. So some of that stock dropped. And the thing about Jenkins is there are some that evaluate in this league that don't view him as a left tackle. They don't think he's going to be a, a pure left tackle. They still think he's better right side or at a guard. I, I, I've heard him compared to the old Kevin Gogan, who played years ago, they tried to make him a tackle. He ended up being a guard and one of the best in the league. So, yeah, we can talk about it all day. I totally agree that the, the pick is not without some thought and without some controversy in terms of the fans. But I think in terms of the way their board stacked up, they probably went best player available, too. And then they found their need with Christensen, a guy, again, they evaluated on site at their pro day with a real close eye. In fact, there have been some scouts in the organization that have been you know, keeping an eye on him for two years now. So I think they did pretty well for the value, and they also recouped the loss from the Sam Darnold trade. So obviously this comes down to the belief in Sam Darnold as yeah. well. They passed on Justin Fields. I thought that was an eye-opener. I had a feeling they might take it, but uh, obviously they're all in on Sam Darnold. I think I think a pick that was a little bit overlooked, and maybe I'm missing something, but uh, you're talking about a first-team All-SEC lineman that went in the fifth round and Deontay uh, – Deontay Brown, I believe his name is. I mean, I barely even know his name, but seemingly that seemed like a steal. Kind of what's the rap on him, and is he a guy that we could probably see maybe even starting at day one? Because especially this past year, I know there was injuries, but guard was a little bit of position that needed to be – that was a position that needed to be dressed. And I know you got Elfline. You added him, and he's presumably going to probably be a starter. But is he going to be a guy we might see at right guard or left guard kind of starting alongside him? I think it's very possible he moves into a starting role, Ben. I think here's the reason why. Elfline is an experienced guy, but he, he did not play very well last year. He, his best year was his rookie year in 2017. He was second-team All-Pro. And I think what they view now is John Miller was a very good guy at right guard for them last year. They re-signed him. They do have Dennis Daly coming back, who's a swingman, can play guard tackle. They lost uh, Chris Reed, their left guard. That's the, the third year in a row they'll have a new left guard installed. And I think they view Deontay Brown as a guy who came into the senior bowl. There were some weight issues, and they were very clear about that. they got to get his weight under control, keep it under control. I think he's back to a good place now with it, at least in terms of playing weight. But if he can regulate that weight and, 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 and they can work with him and develop him, he's a powerful guy. He's, he's not the kind of guy that's going to 
pull and, and get you out in space. He, he's not a space guy. He is a first punch guy inside, tremendous power. Um, I don't want to say he's Larry Allen. That would be sacrilege for Larry <laughs> Allen fans. Right. But if you look at him on tape, there are times where that first punch, it is just a remarkable thing to watch. So it was a sixth-round pick, actually, 193 overall. And there was, again, just a, a matter of them riding the board and seeing guys they valued falling with them. And I, I think that was the theme with this draft is they didn't reach at all. They were patient. They moved back. And we don't know about any of these guys till they play, obviously. That's sure. why the draft grade business. While it's entertainment, it's just, it just it boggles my mind we can slap grades on these drafts. I think the process, though, they came in with a mindset, and then they stayed true to it. And Deontay Brown was a guy that I think was very much a steal in the sixth round, no question. All right, uh, John Ellis, one Panther place. Real quick here on a couple questions, uh, one from Ben, one from me, John. We'll start with Ben real quick. Even though you say, I guess, that the grades, you know, but Ben wanted to ask you this. Yeah, I was kind of interested in your uh, grade on the draft, your personal opinion. What was your <laughs> What's your evaluation yeah, overall of the draft? I'll, I'll put a grade on it. That's fine. Um, I'll grade the process. I think the process would be an A, I, and here's why. I, I can't grade the individual talent. I mean, look, they, they, they got some really good athletes in the board. I mean, they're the only non-athletic guys they picked, if you look at the relative athletic scoring testing they do is Deontay Brown and then uh, Hoskins, the, the guy they picked up late from Kentucky. But those are still, those are guys that are meaty guys inside who do damage, not as athletes, but as just power guys. They got great athletes. They stay true to their board, like I said. Yeah, I've talked to some sources leading up to this draft. Again, we, we opened up with this in the interview here, that their mission coming in was to fill some needs, to draft for athletes, but also to trade back. And, and it was to not just trade back, for, for the sake of trading back to pick up picks. But as Scott Fitterer mentioned in a couple of interviews himself, it was to not trade out of their comfort zone for guys they liked. And I think from people I've talked to, they, they stayed within that range of guys they evaluated and they liked without, you know, they, they, they got compensation back and still got guys they valued. So in terms of the process, I'd give it an A. I mean, it's, there's been drafts in the past where, you know, they, uh, Vernon Butler was a first-round pick. That was an absolute head-scratcher. Um, you know, there were, there were other picks and Vernon's a good player. Now he's, he's developed at the time. That was not the pick I would have gone with. Um, there's just been drafts in the past where you look at the the players they drafted in certain spots, maybe Will Greer, maybe Rashawn Golden, top three round guys that are like, no, that just doesn't, doesn't hit me right. Doesn't feel right. Feels like a reach. Nothing felt like a reach this year, at least in terms of how my board stacked up pre-draft and I, I, the way I perceived their board shaping up so yeah I'd, I'd give it an a in terms of the process now the results we'll see hey john thanks a lot do appreciate the uh time thanks for uh taking a few minutes with us hey no problem guys do well all right there he is uh john ellis at one panther place ben with a uh, quick update and then brian mall with a uh, preview of the wells fargo at quell hollow We start from the NFL's the Las Vegas Raiders signed two-time Pro Bowl cornerback Casey Hayward Jr. Potentially ruling out any rumors of them signing free agent cornerback Richard Sherman. Our college basketball top international prospect Igor Milicic is committed to Virginia after earning high praise after playing for the Polish national team as an 18-year-old. And Baylor adds another top transfer guard and D2 prospect Dale Bonner. Bonner led Fairmont State in scoring assists and steals for the past two seasons. Moving on to the NBA rookie sensation, the Sacramento Kings, Tyrese Halliburton. Had to be helped off the court in a win against Dallas Sunday. After a few MRIs, it was revealed that Halliburton had no ligament damage in his left knee like suspected, but he is expected to miss the rest of the season to make a full recovery. Wrapping up for Major League Baseball,
recalled two-time Cy Young winner caused similar concerns when he experienced back muscle soreness in his last outing against Boston. After causing quite a stir, it was revealed that the pitcher just needed to rest a few games, and he's expected to be back on the mound this Sunday against Arizona. That's going to do it for your 94th of the game sports update. I'm Ben Byram. Greenville's top sports show is back. Well, isn't that special? The Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. We've got Brian Mull with us uh, now. At BG Mull on Twitter covering the PGA Tour. How are you, buddy? Hey, Patrick. Doing well. All right. uh, A lot to get to here, uh, not least of which is the... um, uh, Wells Fargo preview, of course. Brian writing for the Caddy Network has his top 25 picks out. We've linked to that uh, yesterday on our social media, so check it out uh, there. Uh, but uh, some exciting news. Our guy, Harold Varner III, and uh, his wife, uh, they're newlyweds, and uh, they're expecting a baby pretty soon. How exciting. How about that? Baby boy. HV4, it potentially. Is HV4. We'll be here. I like it. HV4. Yeah. I think that'll be great. Um, you know, we it's interesting how family life can have an influence on a lot of people, but, I mean, particularly with golfers, family and kids um, can can really change their perspective because it's, it's such a individual-driven sport that you kind of have to start considering other people at some point. Some guys are, are really good at it, and some guys, like all other people who have families that, well, whether they're major successes or not, some people are really good at it, some people aren't. Yeah, it's difficult, you know, always trying to find the balance. Um, heard a number of golfers say that it gives them perspective because when you come back, you know, your 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 young son or daughter doesn't really care if you shot 65 or 75 or if you three-putted the 18th green. They're just happy to see you and or there's things that need to be done. Um, when you get back, you have responsibilities, kind of t- take your mind off of it. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he makes that adjustment. But I think uh, what Harold has going for him over everything is, you know, his character and his, his attitude and personality. I'm sure he'll just just fine. And, you know, maybe it, uh, maybe it uh, sends him to another level with his game. You never know. He finished second place down in uh, – uh, Oh gosh, it's it's slipping me here. I'm I'm having Hilton I'm Hilton Head. I'm having such a I'm having senior moments today, Mull. Um but, but yeah, it happens. But uh he 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 places second at Hilton Head, his best finish there. And he talked about after that event before going to New Orleans that he really wanted to be in tip top shape because he, he this for him was a major. Uh the Wells Fargo. Uh you don't have him in your top twenty, top twenty five picks. Uh, so as we get into the preview of what's going on at Quell Hollow starting tomorrow, uh, where do you see Harold finishing this weekend potentially? How do you see him playing? I will say he was right on the cusp. You know, the, my, my process is to build a couple of models. Um, there's some analytics information that I have and use that along with observation just from watching from week to week and kind of try to narrow it down to about 50, 60 guys to begin with and then go from there. And I will say that he, he was in that group and, um, you know, I certainly, I can't tell you exactly why I didn't pick him. It was more the fact that some other people had better resumes, but I think it's a great golf course for him. T to green. He's been super solid all year. Um, 
he has a has a nice high ball flight with his irons, which should play well into the firm greens there. The golf course is going to play super long. I know it, it was dry throughout the south in Charlotte, but you know they had some rain early in the week, and the, it, it measures close to 7,600 yards as is. So power off the tee, which he certainly has, is going to be an advantage. It's going to be something you're going to need to to attack. Um, and he's been punting better, you know. And I know his coach Bradley Hughes former tour player uh, who, who's working with a number of guys now, was in, on site at Quail Hollow this week and posted some videos of, you know, walking a practice round with, with Harold. And um, so I think that's great to kind of have that, uh, you know, to see him and, and, and kind of have that uh, confirmation of, of the stuff they've been working on, which has certainly been helping his game. And I, I expect him to have a good week. I just always, my concern with guys playing close to home or, or an event that means a lot, to them is sometimes trying too hard yeah and um and and then also with the uh the obligations of folks asking for tickets and things of that nature sometimes can be a distraction and and, um but you have webb simpson in your top three well webb's a little different story i mean two-time you know major winner players champion yeah rider multiple rider cupper lives on the golf course you know (laughs) but but even webb admitted in a pre-tournament interview that uh you know he and he's had a couple of top five finishes there, but he said the golf course that he plays, which he usually only plays, he would say on average 12 or 15 times a year. It's not like he's out there playing a hundred rounds a year. Um, is much different than the one that they'll play during the tournament, just on the pure setup of the golf course. So, um, you know, he, uh, he said he has a, his advantage is very minuscule in his words. Brian Mull with us, uh, covering, uh, the PGA tour for various outlets, including the caddy network. Hey, uh, this is this is a an event, and they have quite a membership there. I mean, some of the richest people on the planet are are members there. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Yet, the membership there really embraces this event. They do, yeah. They've uh, with with uh, Johnny Harris, um, and now his son running the club, and they've uh, I mean embraced wanting to be a tournament destination. Uh, of course, Wells Fargo, and then venturing into the major championship yeah, world in 2017, yeah. and then with the yeah. President's Cup coming in the fall next year, uh, they've they've certainly made the changes and done the things to understanding that they have to make sacrifices. Of, you know, the course not being available to them perhaps as much as it would be otherwise, but they they enjoy putting Quail Hollow and putting Charlotte in the spotlight and. It, it certainly has earned the respect and admiration of the players, and uh, you know it's been a it's been a strong test of golf with a, with a great roster of champions. If you look back over the last, gosh, almost twenty years now since the Wells Fargo started, I mean, just the best of the best have won. Or uh, we've seen breakout guys like Ricky Fowler and Rory McIlroy there, and of course Phil has played. Uh, I'm sure that's one that uh, ranks just behind the U.S. Open as, as near misses that, you know, he, he certainly feels like he should have won. Uh, I think he's had eight or nine top tens there and um, has never been able to never been able to claim the trophy. But but he's back again this year, and I wouldn't be surprised if Phil has a good week. Speaking of Phil, uh, he made some headlines here, uh, and, and others have, and, I, and we'll have to address this one day because we're kind of tight on time. But this Premier Golf League, or it's also known as the Super Golf League, I mean, he's acknowledged as Mickelson. They've offered him a hundred million dollars. It apparently has a billionaire, uh, or or at least a billion dollars backing it. How legit is this? Where guys would go and play with a competitor to the PGA Tour and do it for guaranteed money? 
Well, it's legit. If you're at a point in your career where you're done chasing majors and you don't care if you win another tournament and $100 million sounds pretty good and you're not worried about, uh, you know, damaging or, in, you know, realistically ending your relationship with the PGA Tour as the, you know, the commissioner has told any player that, that uh, signs a deal with that league that they, they would lose their tour membership. But, um, yeah, if you're at Phil Mickelson, at his point in his career, he can do whatever he wants. And if that's something he – choice that he thinks is the right move for, for himself and his career and his family, then by all means he has the right to. But, but I mean, there's no uh, – and, and, you know, it's a whole other conversation. We could talk about where that money comes from, but there's there's <laughs> there's no shortage of it based on everything I've been told, you know. And, and the only chance that they have of success is to get big – name stars but i just don't know who their market is i mean rory mcelroy's come out and spoken out against and i think anybody else in their prime who's still trying to set their schedule and play 15 to 18 events on the tour and play other events around the world isn't going to sign up for some thing that could fall apart in five years right and 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 then be stuck without having anywhere to play i I do want to get into this we'll we'll get into this one day when we talk to you in the future weeks and and devote a whole segment to it because i to me this whole thing's really fascinating uh, thanks, Brian. Do appreciate. Oh, uh, yeah. Real quick, uh, if you had to give your pick for Quell Hollow, who, who wins? Uh, it's tough. I like Justin Thomas. He won the PGA there. I always like him. Um, high ball hitter with his irons. Uh, I don't think the scores are going to be very low. Uh, a, a name to watch coming from out of the pack: Matt Wallace, the Englishman, okay. has been playing really well. Could be a good fit for him. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, there he goes, Brian Mall. Uh, boy, this thing where I mean they. Reportedly, have offered Phil a hundred million guaranteed. One thing Phil Mickelson likes: money. We'll be back after uh, this to wrap things up uh, on this Wednesday. Miss, remember there will be a test. You can log on to the brand new ninety four three thegamecom for the podcast of the PJ Show, plus what's going on with sports in Pitt County and around the globe, and the latest on the ECU Pirates. Log on today. The brand new ninety four three thegamecom You are dismissed. And now. The stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. Uh, I was looking here. I know JP2 has hired a new basketball coach for their boys team. I did not. uh, That tweet has totally left me now. Oh, well. Oh, here we go. Uh, I do know this. Fox has bought Outkick the coverage from Clay Travis. Whoa. Makes it. Ralph Biggs? Yeah, okay. Well, congratulations there. Uh, and uh, a little more on that as we get uh, closer to the season. Um, yeah, how about that? How about uh, Fox buying Outkick from Clay Travis? Seems like they're kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah. Well, I, I, it's Fox Sports, but I, yeah, I think that that, or is it Fox? I, again, I, Outkick's a separate thing from his show called Outkick the Cover. Right, I know, so. I understand that. And I mean, obviously, he's got a relationship because Fox is his network of distribution. But I mean, that if, if that's a Fox Sports move, even if it's a Fox News Division move, that gives them, and you'll probably see Clay Travis pop up a lot more on television and pop up in places where he can be impactful. And draw ratings on because I mean whether you like Clay Travis or not, that's the the sports talk brand in the country right now is it's Clay one of Travis. the biggest out there. It's the no, it's not one. It is the biggest. 
ESPN Radio. Who's the star on that on that format right now? Seriously, who's Max this? Kellerman? I mean, who's the star no on idea, that format? Yeah. Nobody. And that was the twenty years ago. That was the brand, and Fox was uh, a distant second. Hey, thanks to John Ellis and thanks to Brian Mull. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Bethany Bradshaw uh, will be joining us as we uh, talk a little more about the book that she wrote uh, with uh, George Whitfield. And uh, we'll have that for you tomorrow and more. Have a great night.